The mailman comes to my house every day, and I have full confidence that he's going to show up. You know, having confidence like that is something very powerful, and that's today on our podcast. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You can listen here each week to catch up on our latest sermon, and we hope that what you hear inspires you to want more so that you will continue on your own personal faith journey. This month, we're celebrating Advent, the time that helps us prepare for Christmas. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now for part one of our new sermon series called The Promise. Well, good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's great to be with you as we worship God together today, this first Sunday of Advent. Yes, it's here. Thanksgiving went so fast. And now we are already full go into the Christmas season. So you are allowed now to listen to those Christmas carols, you know, finally. I I know my kids give me a hard time for having the channels, Christmas channels pre-programmed on the satellite radio before Christmas. I got an earful. So anyway, I feel 100% comfortable now listening to all those songs as we get ready for this big holiday. And of course, in the Christian calendar, Advent is a very important season of waiting upon the Lord and of enjoying the blessing of the life that Jesus lived and eventually laid down for us. So this series we're talking about is called The Promise. And that's really what this is about, right? The promise of what God has done and will do in Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris Pete was a guest pastor with us, and he's a member of our church. He plays in the band pretty often, and he has sung with the choir pretty often. Um, He asked a question that I thought was really interesting because I was thinking about the pandemic. He was talking about red letter dates, and he says, do you remember where you were when? And so let's play this game. If you're old enough, do you remember where you were when they landed on the moon? I know my mother used to tell that story all the time about where she was when that happened. I remember different sort of benchmark events and where I was. Certainly we all, I mean, most of us who are watching this can remember 9-11 and where you were in that moment. I remember I was newly married. We were one month married exactly and um, in this tiny little apartment outside of Philadelphia and I remember it coming on the news and Karen saying, oh my gosh, it looks like a plane accidentally flew into the World Trade Center. And, you know, I mean, the rest is history. But it's funny how these things happen and you can remember with great detail what was going on at the time. And sometimes it's not even just a big event like that. It's like a song comes on the radio and it brings you back to something, a moment that's special to you. Well, then, you know, do you remember where you were when you realized the pandemic was a pandemic? I was uh, in the airport, actually, when this happened. So I was traveling just a couple of weeks before the lockdown, and I was traveling out to California. And in the airport, I saw a whole bunch of people wearing masks. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe this whole Wuhan virus thing is something I should actually be worried about. Like, I I missed the memo that I wasn't wearing a mask. 
I remember distinctly that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, let me bathe in hand sanitizer because I think I'm not prepared for this moment. Then, of course, within the next couple of weeks, everything got shut down. I, I remember in the uh, Connect Center, which was formerly the parlor, as, as we had just kind of ripped everything out as we were redoing it. And I remember having a conversation with the contractor uh, who was there who was like, oh, yeah, did you hear someone in Little Silver got got the virus? And we're like, ah, you know, it's fine. It's, it happens. Well, you know, we had no idea. Do you remember where you were when? See, moments like this unexpectedly change things forever. We don't know when they're going to happen, but we know that nothing is the same after they happen. I remember last Thanksgiving and Christmas was really sad for our family because we didn't do a gathering. We had some health concerns and, you know, for a lot of families, they were setting up Thanksgiving outside. There are some doing that this year, too. And you may not normally do that. And maybe there's distancing and masks. I mean, just trying to do whatever you can to make sure it's safe. And some people think it's, um, you know, that you don't need to do that. And other people are really afraid of it. And you're just trying to find, like, what's to do. But it feels like this year we're kind of getting back to a little bit of normal. But last year, for sure, it was it was hard. It was hard for our family, for sure. Now, in, in 2021, 2021, it's, it's weird what happened because we were all having this pressure of the pandemic. And then on top of that, you add the powder keg that is social media. There's a great documentary that came out uh, last year, and you probably saw it if you're a Netflix subscriber, called The Social Dilemma. I thought this was fascinating. It's all about, and kind of scary, about how social media works and how it uh, manipulates and how algorithms point us to certain content depending on uh, what we're clicking on. I mean, it's sort of a wild thing, but really the bottom line of this was, you know, higher social media use has translated to lower mental and physical health. We all sort of intuitively knew that, but now that you're starting to see a lot of data come out around this, it's really proving to be true. The higher you're, you're using social media, the lower you're going to feel, the lower you're going to be, even in your physical health. There was an article in The Atlantic in December 2019 called The Dark Psychology of Social Networks. And it starts by posing a question, just trying to sort of show like how the internet has transformed how we interact with one another. Uh, in the beginning of the article, the author asks, what if God just for fun, decided in the 20th century to just randomly double the force of gravity. I mean, you know, like birds would fall out of the sky and buildings would fall down and we'd all have to live with this monumental change of the gravitational force of the earth. And he was trying to make this connection. He said, so what if a technology appeared that doubled the force of animosity? And that's really what we have in social media. And of course, in our sermon series we did back in September, we talked about Christians in the Age of Outrage in this book by Ed Stetzer. And we saw that, I mean, people are angrier and it's, it's like a double whammy. They're angrier and they're increasingly more isolated. And I would say even increasingly more radicalized in their anger. In other words, um, when people are angry and they're off by themselves, it's usually a worse outcome than when people are angry and they are together with other people. 
Now, what do we make of all this? Well, clearly, with all of the things that have happened in our world and in our lives and in our holidays and on the internet, there's just so much negative news coming at us, it's bound to have an impact. Around this time last year, I talked about this phenomenon called doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is the act of consuming an endless procession of negative online news to the detriment of the scroller's mental wellness. Yeah, been there, done that. It's funny, a couple days ago, I was watching the morning news, and my youngest, who's nine, said, Dad, I'm never going to New York. Like, why are you never going to New York? We love going to New York. He's like, no, 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 only bad stuff happens there. He kind of accidentally was getting sucked into that news feed where look at watching the, kind of the New York news and all the crime that they were reporting on. And if that's true for my nine-year-old who's barely paying attention anyway, how much more so is it true for us? Bottom line is, we all need a little Christmas now. We need some help. We need some light in the middle of the darkness. And that's exactly what Advent is all about. Advent comes from a word that means coming or arrival. It's waiting. It's faithfully waiting upon the light to shine through the darkness. And we as Christians, we live between two Advents. We have the Advent of light when Jesus Christ was born, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And then we have the second coming of Jesus, that Advent that we are all waiting for. We Christians are actually a people of waiting, waiting upon the Lord to show up. The idea is the light came into the world in Jesus Christ, and one day all the world will be filled with light at his coming again. So this part one, this week one of the Advent calendar, is all about the promise of hope. The promise of hope. What are you hoping for this year? What are you hoping for? Maybe it's something with your family or with your job or with the world or with the holidays. What is it? What are you really hoping for? And then I want you to ask yourself this question. What is that hope based on? I think for a lot of people, we kind of categorize hope as sort of wishful thinking. I hope because I see some circumstances that might go in my favor in a certain direction. And I, oh boy, I hope it works out. That's not exactly the hope that we're talking about at all when it comes to the hope of the promise of Jesus Christ. Let's think about relational hope. When you have hope in a person, I think that's a little more accurate. That hope is based on trust. It's like, you know, your little kid, you're waiting for your mom to show up to pick you up after school and she's running late and all the other kids have been picked up. Do you immediately panic if you're waiting five minutes because mom's not there yet? No, you trust mom. You know mom's going to show up. 10 minutes. You trust mom, but you're getting kind of aggravated. 15 minutes. You know she's coming, but man, you're not happy about it, right? You don't give up because they didn't show up right when you expected. Because you trust. They love you. You know your mom. You know you know they're going to show up for you. They're going to be there to pick you up. That's relational hope. And relational hope is based on trust. The more you trust, the more you hold out hope. Now, if I had a stranger uh, come, you know, pick me up <laughs> wherever I was, and they weren't there after 15 minutes, I would probably lose hope very quickly and call an Uber. That's just how it is. 
Hope and trust are related. And let's dig into that now with that in view. That because if we trust Almighty God and God's shown to be trustworthy, then all of our hope is rightfully placed upon him. So let's go to the beginning of the first advent, which back in the Old Testament, uh, Israel is under oppressive foreign rule for many generations, but there is a promise that a Messiah is coming. And all the prophets, and especially in the book of Isaiah, talk about the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 9.2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Of course, promising the future Messiah. In fact, this is the scripture that Matthew quotes in the Gospel of Matthew um, as we get around the birth narrative. Now, if God promised you something, said, you know, this is going to happen, usually we should all say, okay, no problem, I have total hope because I could trust God. But what happens if God doesn't show up in that way that you're expecting after five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 600 years? I mean, God's people probably forgot all about the promises in some ways, right? I'm sure plenty of people, I mean, generations and generations went by without the promise being fulfilled. So maybe some people had lost hope. But I want to share with you a story about two followers of God who hadn't lost hope. And because they hadn't lost hope, they were right where God wanted them, when he wanted them to be there. This is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. The consolation, right? He was waiting for the comforting of Israel by the completion of the prophecy that Jesus was to come. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Pay attention to that phrase. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now, what are you noticing so far? There's a theme to Simeon's life, and we should be paying close attention to that. You want to know how you hold out hope and how you make sure you're in the right place where God wants you at the right time? You make sure that you are in touch with the Holy Spirit. You are connecting with God. You are praying. You are reading the scriptures. You are doing everything you can to maintain that trust level you need to keep your hope in God. He was connected with the Spirit. And the Spirit, when the time was right, did what? Moved him to be in the right place at the right time. People ask me all the time, Pastor, how do you know where God wants you to go? How do you know? I said, you just listen. Just ask for God to move you when the time is right, and he will. So moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, 
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine this moment for Simeon, by the way? He knows how long it's been since the promise of the Messiah was made, and he'd been waiting his whole life for this moment. And finally, he sees, he lays eyes upon Jesus, and he knows this is the light that has come into the darkness. And then, of course, Mary and Joseph marveling at these words. It's really a beautiful moment. Hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Wild, right? What did Simeon and Anna have in common? They were connected with God. They worshipped God. They fasted and prayed. They held out what? Hope because they trusted in the promises of God, even though they had waited their whole lives without seeing them fulfilled, this one in particular, they never stopped hoping. This wasn't hope that was just wishful thinking. This was hope that was anchored in the very being and nature of God. So, what are a couple of our takeaways from these stories when it comes to Christian hope? Because I think Christian hope is different than just the feeling of hope in general. The first reason why it's different is because Christian hope is found in a person. Jesus is our hope. God's promises fulfilled. We don't just hope because of wishful thinking or because we see circumstances that might trend in our favor. We hope because of what Jesus did for us. It's the Son of God, Word made flesh, came to show us the way to the Father, laid down his life on the cross that we might live, and all we have to do is to believe that he did it. That's what our hope is based on. Our hope is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says that we too will one day be with him. That's what our hope is based on. And if you've noticed, our hope isn't based on a wishful story of Jesus. Hope is based on the actual actions of Jesus in history. He rose again from the dead. The tomb is empty. That's why we have hope. Listen, if it was just a story about Jesus talking about one day you'll be with my father and we're all going to be resurrected, it's going to be great, but he was just buried in the tomb, that would take a lot of the punch out of this story. (laughs) Right? I mean, that would render it useless. We have hope because Jesus proved it in real time. He proved that he is trustworthy to make good on God's promises. Christian hope is found in a person. 
And that's just it, right? The second, Christian hope is based on previous history with God. Part of what Scripture shows us is God's faithfulness in the past. And then he shows us what's coming in the future. And he says, based upon past, he doesn't say this, but this is what we get. Based upon past performance, you can trust that what I said about your future is true. This is logical, right? This happens every time that you go back to a restaurant, <laughs> right? Why do you go back to a restaurant? Because you think you will be happy with the outcome of the experience. What would make you think that? Wishful thinking, maybe. But you go back because of past performance. Oh, you got to order this. It's so great, right? Oh, you got to do this. You, the future is based on past performance. And if you do that with restaurants, how much more can you do that with God? God is always on time. Not always on our time, but always on time. God is the ultimate, most trustworthy being in history, in the universe. If we can't put our hope and trust in God, we have a problem with hope and trust. Romans 15.4 talks about this a bit. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Scriptures are the way to hope because they tell us what's to come. And then third, Christian hope, unlike regular hope, <laughs> Christian hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. Years ago, when that movie, The Sixth Sense, came out, I mean, that was, gosh, like 20, probably over 20 years ago or maybe 20 years ago now. Um, I mean, the first time I watched it, you know, and you see it's got one of those surprise endings where everything's revealed, sort of like a great old Alfred Hitchcock uh, film where you sort of see all the clues that you didn't see the whole way. And I remember after that watching the movie again, but I watched it different. I watched it because I knew the end, so I was looking for all those little clues that I had missed the first round. See, when you know how the movie ends, it changes how you watch it. You still have an experience of that movie, but now that you know how it ends, if you really like the ending, you can't wait for it. You're excited for it. Listen, we know the end. We know how things are going to end. And so it changes our life now. If we know that our lives end with victory, with being in the arms of our loving Father, it changes how we live now. Hoping and trusting in Jesus Christ, hoping in the promise of His coming, should change how we live our lives every day. We live with the end in mind. Listen, what if this Advent season, this Christmas, could be another moment for you where something just kind of clicks in a different way with your faith? Moments like this unexpectedly change things forever. I wonder if this moment can change things for you. I want to invite you as we walk through this season together, that you would not just hear the promises of God, but that you will trust and hope and expect them to come. Amen. <laughs>